This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome everybody. It's so good to be with you today. As I said in the first service, just looking around, man, I am so thankful to be in this room with you, with these people. Um, it is uh, just an amazing privilege to get to do this. There's so I just look around, so many of you I love, I care about, I enjoy just getting to be in a room with you. And, and to think that not only do we get to do that, but we also get to dive into the Word of God, such a privilege to be able to do this. Last week, we kicked off a series called Lumber. And uh, we started by looking at the, the simple fact that Jesus was indeed a carpenter. I want to draw your attention this Wednesday. If you've ever considered leading a small group, this Wednesday at 6.30, we'd love to have you come join us at our downtown campus. Uh, we, we, we want to be able to feed you be able to spend a few moments with you, really investing in you and, and really launching you into uh, the, the leadership of a small group, which we feel like is the capacity to cultivate community, and we want to be able to empower you to do that. So if you're interested in doing that, please make plans to be with us this Wednesday, 6.30. Now, last week we kicked this all off by looking at Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 is a story of Jesus returning home to his hometown of Nazareth. All right, so when he returns home to Nazareth, the people in that community knew Jesus. They'd, they'd known Jesus for not just like the teacher Jesus, but they knew Jesus, the carpenter's son. All right, so in Mark 6, when he is invited into synagogue, reads the scriptures, the comments come out, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the carpenter's son? And Mark 6 ref just records this very interesting caveat in verse Three, that they took offense at him. That they took offense. Now here's the thing about offense. You will never be offended, but you can take it all day long. All right, and they were offended. They took an offense in that moment. Now, what's so interesting to me is that earlier on, the the all three accounts of this is recorded in three different Gospels. All three say that the people who were there were amazed. They're like, wow, man, is he good. Jesus, I remember when your mom was changing your diaper. You're pretty impressive right now. I mean, I remember seeing you, snotty-nosed kid. I remember going to church school with you, right? They remember growing up. He spent two decades at least with them, and they were impressed by him. But I want you to hear what I'm about to say. They did not want him to make an impression in their lives. They were more than willing to be amazed, but they did not want Jesus to instruct their lives. This really takes us back to an age-old conversation of what we want versus what we need. All right? And in this story, and you got to see this to understand where we're going today. In this story, we see it's easy to get offended when we don't get what we expect. It's really easy to get offended when you don't get what you expect. All right, see, your expectations go back to wants and needs. Your 
expectations more often than not represent your wants. Not your needs. They represent your wants. Your expectations are. And it's really easy to get offended, like I said, when we don't get what we want, but we get what we need. So let me give you a few examples of that. It's really easy to get offended when we want affirmation, but what we get is correction. All right. I don't know if you've ever been there. You go in for a performance review. You think, man, I'm killing it right now. I mean, I am just blowing it out. Everything about my job, I'm operating on all cylinders. And you sit down, and your boss is like, all right, we got about 10 things that are not good, and we got to work on them right now, or you're going to lose your job. And you're like, what? Or you, you know, you kind of dress up and you go out and you ask your husband, husbands, this is the worst question you ever get asked. Does this look good? And you want affirmation. You get, no, uh uh-uh, that does not look good. All right, husbands, that's always the wrong answer, okay, in case you were wondering. All right, we get offended when we want affirmation, but what we need is correction. All right, here's another one. This happens with us often in our relationship with God. We want guidance, but what we get is conviction. God, help me see the next step. God, I don't know where to go. God, show me. And, and instead, in, in our time with the Lord, God begins to convict you by the power of the Holy Spirit. I need you, I need you to stop doing that. No, you're, you're, you're blowing it over here. No, well, I don't want that, God. I just, can you just tell me, like, which job to apply for? Can you just tell me which offer to accept? Can you just tell me what to do? What we need is conviction. And actually, the conviction of the Lord is His guidance. But what we want is God to just simply give us a next step. We get offended. We get offended. Here's another one, and this one's going to hurt. When what we want is control, we want to control, but what we need is surrender. We want to control. You know, my, my, my marriage would be great if my, my spouse would just do everything I want them to do. Oh, I, our family, we, we would just take it up to the next level if my kids would finally do those 10 things that I keep asking them to do. My boss would be a great boss if he would just kind of do these things that I think he's supposed to do. Right, we want to be in control. But what we need to realize is the only, the only one in control of all of those spheres is God. The only one. And our only response to that is not to try to control. It is to surrender to His rule and reign in our life. See, sin is, in its simplest form, it is a rebellion. Sin is a rebellion against the goodness of God. It's a rebellion against the things of God. It's a rebellion against what God alone in our lives can hold. Sin is, for many of us, it's often an attempt to take something from God that is His alone to have. Let me give you a few examples of that. For example, someone says something to you that hurts your feelings, right? Someone offends you, all right? We, in turn, I don't want to forgive. I know that's God's plan. I'm not going to forgive, right? So we allow Sin, which is unforgiveness, and really what's happening is we're trying to take God's ability to discipline somebody else as righteous judge away from him, and we're saying, no, God, I'll discipline them. I'll make them feel bad. 
Oh my, and, and God's going, no, that's not how this works. You're actually hurting yourself here. Trying to take from God was his. Here's another one, jealousy. All right, jealousy is when, like, your neighbor gets the new car that you've always wanted, and you come home, and you're like, thank it, God. I'm mad at you. They got the new Tahoe, right, and whatever it is, right? And, you're, and what you're trying to do is you're literally trying to take away God's pleasure to provide for everyone as he sees fit as our Heavenly Father. When we're not taking that away, we realize that God will bless you and he will bless other people in different ways, in different times, and in different measures. And we can literally stand back and go, God, man, I, you have been good to them. Praise you. God, you have been good to them. Jealousy is our attempt to take away from God something that really should uniquely be God's. I mean, the truth is you want to be God. You may not put it that way. You may not see it that way. But we want, oftentimes, we want to be in control. We want to be God. But please hear what I'm about to say. It's so important. We want to be God, but our lives depend on us not being God. We want to be in control. We want things to go our way. But our lives depend on us not having things go our way. Our lives depend on us not being in control. And that's what's happening in this passage. That's what's happening. Jesus is warning us about wanting to be something that only God can be. Matthew 7, we're going to read all the way through that. Matthew 7, beginning in verse 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Oh, pay attention to that. Last week I told you that when we take on a judgmental attitude towards other people, all we're doing is inviting the judgment of God into our own lives. This is not critical thinking. Okay? This is not the evaluation of the fruit in other people's lives. This is our attempt to usurp the role of God as righteous judge and to pronounce a judgment over someone else, saying something like, you did that, you're going to hell. You did that, you can't be right with God. You did that, there's no way that you will ever be loved by God. And unfortunately, there are way too many people who profess to be Christians who behave like that. And Jesus is letting us see, no, no, that's, that's not in alignment with the heart of God. So he continues on. Why do you look at a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And we're going to really zero in on that verse today. How can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your eye, when all the while there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own own eye, and then you will see clearly to the remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give the dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. For if you do, there may they may trample them under their feet and then turn to tear you into pieces. Now, in the, the passage that we looked at out of Mark 4, Jesus is called a, a carpenter, okay? In, in Matthew's recounting of the story, the crowd yells, isn't this the carpenter's son? See, Jesus grew up in a house where he was used to working with lumber. He was used to it. And, and probably more than once, he had some sawdust get in his eyes. 
All right, because in the first century, they did not have um, handy-dandy eyewear like we do now in our modern day. All right, so he would have been sawing something, planing something out, and, and he would have experienced that in the first century. And to make his point in this passage, Jesus is, is taking us back to the carpentry shop. Now, we know Jesus is at least one of four brothers. All right, he would have grown up working with his brothers, with his dad. Right, and, and in that, that's the reason that in that, that crowd, there are probably people who are going to go home and have dinner sitting at a table that Jesus had built. Sitting, and the, remember, carpenter means handyman, so there's probably people who also went home and, and sat underneath a roof that Jesus had repaired. And so he's taking us right back to that shop, and he's using the imagery of that shop to make the point here. Two workers, two problems, one with a speck in their eye, and one with the plank. Now, the word that's translated plank here is, is unique. It only appears in the Gospel of Matthew in the original text. It, it's, it's not um, really, plank is kind of a bad translation. The, the word literally means a load-bearing beam. Okay, so if you know anything about uh, lumber, all right, a load-bearing beam is not a two-by-four. All right, so this is not, as some translations have rendered it, a speck of sawdust in one eye and a splinter in the other one. All right, that's not what this is going on. This is literally a massive beam running through somebody's eye out the back of their head. Now, obviously, Jesus is using a little bit of hyperbole here. Hyperbole is a language tool, which is kind of a, a massive overstatement to make a point. And so Jesus in this moment is using hyperbole because obviously if you had a load-bearing beam going through your eye, you're dead. All right, story's over with. Guy's got a beam through his head. He's not trying to do anything. All right, Jesus instead is, is making this point. All right, pay attention to this. One of these workers has something going on that's hard to notice. You ever seen somebody get a speck of sawdust in their eye? The truth is, is that you don't see it, okay? You might see the effects of it. You might see a little tear coming out. You might see them wiping their eyes. But you don't see the, the speck of sawdust. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about this other person that's really the main character. The other person has something wrong that everybody notices, can you imagine walking down the street past that carpenter shop? What? That dude, you got a plane going through your eye. I mean, there's a load-bearing beam. One, out the, how in the world are you there? Right, can you imagine? I mean, obviously, Jesus is trying to make a point to let, to let us know, hey, hey, you know what? There's one guy who's, he's, he's got an issue, but there's another guy, he's got a really big issue. And it's important to notice who Jesus is talking to. And look at verse 3 again. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Just to make this real simple, he's talking to you. You're the one with the plank in your own eye. I'm the one. He's talking to us. As the great commentator on the book of Matthew, Leon Morris put it, Jesus is drawing attention to the curious feature of the human race in which a profound ignorance of oneself is often combined with an arrogant 
presumption of knowledge about others, especially about their faults. Would you put yourself in that category? Ignorant? Would you? I mean, certainly not today, right? I mean, obviously today, you, y'all came in looking amazing today, all right? I mean, I saw some families walking, I mean, like kids, like literally, y'all marked in like synch- synchronized, wearing matching outfits today. I mean, you guys all, you look amazing, so certainly not today, right? But what if you reverse field on yourself about 10 years? And you look back, about a decade ago, would you say, man, I was, I was pretty ignorant back then? 15 years ago, 20 years ago, Tim Keller said it this way, your future self will always see your present self as unwise, immature, and ignorant. That means you are currently a fool right now. Is, is that the issue? Is, is our ignorance the issue? Because if you pay attention, the guy with the plank doesn't seem to know that he has a plank. Doesn't seem to be paying attention to the fact that he has a a load-bearing beam shooting through his face. Are we presently ignorant? Humility assumes so. Jesus, I believe, is pointing us in this passage to see ourselves in a different way. The issue here is not will you have issues. Do you notice that both of the characters at play in this story have issues? Both of them have flaws. Both of them have something going on. The issue is not will you have issues. The issue is what will you do with your issues? Because in this passage, what what you're going to see is the the plank is not really the issue. Pay attention to this. You hypocrite, verse 5. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The issue is that the plank is unaddressed. And this person is now trying to help somebody with a much smaller issue. Please hear what I'm about to say. One of the most subtle attacks from the enemy, one of the enemy's most subtle attacks is to get your eyes off your own sin and distract you with other people's sin. All right? One of the most subtle attacks is to get your eyes off your own sin and try to get you to look at other people's sin and how other people have failed and how other people have struggled and how other people are not right. The, the enemy wants to do that. Do you know you have an enemy who literally wants to take you out and take everything that God wants to give you away from you? In the Bible, it's called by different names. It's called the devil. You know, Peter says that the devil roams around like a roaring lion looking for that which he may devour. It's called Satan. It's called at one point, Jesus calls him the father of lies, which means that all things that are untrue find their origin in the enemy of our souls. Do you know he has another name? And it appears in Revelation chapter 12. I, I, I think this is important 
for us to see in the context of what we're talking about right now. Look at this. This is right after Satan. It, John's getting this vision of the, the end times battle. Satan has been defeated. And Revelation 12 verse 10 says this. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now has come the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. What's the name here? The accuser of our brothers and sisters. I don't know about you, but sometimes I hear voices. Not like schizophrenic stuff, okay? But sometimes, you know, I hear a voice and it's like, you know, you need to go cut your toenails. They look pretty long, all right? And so, I mean, you know, I don't know if you have those voices, but sometimes I have those voices in my head. But sometimes I hear a voice that will say something like, your, your wife doesn't love you. You, know, you notice how she didn't do that thing you asked her to do? She doesn't love you. She doesn't honor you. Oh, that friend over there? Yeah, yeah. Did you hear what they said to you? Did you hear the tone? They don't love you. Oh, oh, that employee? They're not on your side. They're not coming with you. Oh, the, the person you thought was your friend? Oh, watch, watch. They're about to betray you. What's, what's happening? The enemy in my, my head is becoming the accuser of the brothers and sisters. A few months ago, I got to sit around a table of a group of pastors with, uh, with a mentor, with Pastor Greg Surratt, a pastor of Seacoast who spoke here uh, back in the spring. Amazing leader, uh, maybe one of the most foremost leaders in the church in the United States at this moment. And we sat down, and, and just to be honest, the last two years have been really hard on pastors. And I love our church, man. You guys have made it easy. There's a lot of our staff in here, and God knows, I mean, you guys are rock stars. You, you've, made, you've made this last year and a half just amazing. But it hadn't been that way. It hadn't been that way, especially for a lot of my friends. And one of my friends sitting around that table just broke down and started crying. He said, man, we, we have lost people that we love. Like who literally just peaced out on us, never talked to us, never said anything, just walked away. And we've, we've, we've loved them and served them for, for years. And I lost, I lost this staff member and I lost this staff member. And he looked at Pastor Greg and he said, I feel like a failure. I just feel like a failure right now. And Pastor Greg looked at him and said, who said that? Who said that you're a failure? Do you think that was your loving heavenly father that called you a failure? And then in a way that only Pastor Greg could, he said, you, you go ahead and put horns on that, all right, because that's the devil, all right. That's the devil. Send it back to hell because that's where it came from. That's not true. Your father didn't say that of you. All right, we need to be reminded sometimes that the accuser of the brothers and sisters in our lives wants to get our focus off of our own sin and onto the sin of other people around us that may have hurt us or wounded us slightly. But I want to remind you what I said last week. Remember that, you, that, that what you could harbor against a brother does not compare to what God could hold against you. I mean, I'm not 
discounting the fact that there aren't people in your life that have done things that hurt you, wounded you, that was sin against you. But what you need to be able to do is step back and see that the offense that our sin leveraged to the throne of God will never, ever compare to what anybody else will do to us. It's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. And I've come to see this. You have to fight to keep a healthy perspective. You've got to fight to keep a healthy perspective of your own self. Because you want to know what? The world either wants to push you down or puff you up. You've got to fight to keep a healthy perspective in relationships. You've got to fight to keep a healthy perspective in your career. You've got to fight. You want to know why you've got to fight to keep a healthy perspective? Real simple. Because you have an enemy who is trying to take out yours. You got an enemy who wants to corrupt your perspective. You got an enemy who wants to get the eyes of your heart focused on something that is not good for you. And here's one thing that is so very true your enemy wants to downplay the significance of your own sin. And in this story, Jesus is talking about a scenario where this is overtly true. Where there is someone, while they both have issues, there is someone who has a significant issue. And he's showing us that sometimes that focus on other people's failures, this, even the desire to help isn't always helpful. Helping isn't always helpful when you yourself have major issues to work through. A lot of times, we want to perform surgery on other people. Let me, let me help you cut that out. Let me help you get rid of that. You need to cut that out. You need to quit that. You need to get rid of that. You start doing that. We want to perform surgery on other people. But who should be cutting on who? Jesus actually already addressed this in Matthew just two chapters before, Matthew 5, when he said, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It's as if Jesus is saying to us, you, you'll be tempted to try to cut things out of other people's lives. You, you're going to see that speck of sawdust in somebody else's eye. And you're going to be tempted to try to show up and try to cut it out and try to help them manage it. But it's as if Jesus is saying, no, you cut on you. You cut on you. Your job is not to get out there and start performing surgery on a bunch of other people when you got a huge plank running through your forehead. Have you paid attention to this? All throughout this, there have been baits. I like to call it a bait to take an offense. Right? Imagine being the, the person with the speck of sawdust in your eye when co-worker, your brother, has got, got a load-bearing beam running through their forehead, comes over, hey, let me help you, right? Why are you trying to help me? Everybody can see you got that going through your face. I don't need your help. And then what happens? Oh, man, I tried to help him, 
They don't want my help. Look at them. Look at all they're going through. I tried to show up and give them some advice. They didn't want it. Offended that someone didn't want help. Offended for all these reasons. I don't know if you've paid attention to this. But offended is where the enemy wants you. Offended is where the enemy wants you today. Pay attention. I mean, look around. There are so many reasons right now. You turn on the TV, you scroll through Facebook, just have a conversation with somebody about politics. It doesn't take a whole lot right now. Mask or not mask. Vaccine or no vaccine. Right, all of these things that have come. I mean, what in the world is going on? You want to know why it's this way? Because the enemy wants you offended. In Matthew 24, Jesus expounds on what the enemy's plan is towards the last days. Look at what he says. Then, in those days, many will be offended. They'll betray one another. Why will they? Because they got offended. They'll betray the trust, they'll betray the relationship, and then they will hate one another. And because of the relational disconnection, because of the distance, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Because people become disconnected from each other, then untruth will find its way into the world and people are going to buy into a bunch of lies. And because of that, lawlessness will abound and the love will of many will grow cold. Here's the thing about offense. Offense is always going to shift your perspective from your sin to somebody else's sin. You cannot be offended by looking out the great offense that you hold to God. But you can get offended when your perspective shifts and you just start looking at what other people have done. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be sin, okay? And there's going to be sin in others against you. And I want... I want to just tell you up front, I sympathize. It's going to hurt. It's happened to me. And it will take time to process through that. All right, please hear what I'm about to say. Time does not heal all wounds. Healing heals all wounds. Okay? And it takes work to heal. It takes intentionality to heal. But I think Jesus is in this passage pointing us to something that's important. And it's something you need to hear today. We all have work to do on ourselves. And eventually, that work matters for others. Did you pay attention to what Jesus said in verse 5? First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brothers. They, they both got issues. They both got wood in their eye. And when you've walked through something that was tragic and the hurt was deep, God tends to cultivate great empathy and compassion for other people. But until you do the work, there's only going to be arrogance and judgment. I want to help. But what, what I need is I need to be healed. I, I, I want to... I want to take that step towards somebody else and helping them get free. But, but what, I, what I need is I, I need freedom for myself. I, I want to be able to give some advice. But what I need is I need to take some advice my own self. It's, 
Back to wants and needs. I heard this story. I'm going to tell this as we close today. It's about a little boy. His dad died when he was two years old. And his mom, struggling to raise him, moved in with her parents. Didn't have a very good relationship with the, the boy's grandparents, and so he didn't see them often. So when he was 12 years old, the boy's grandfather called and said, I, I want to see him. Could you, could you bring him over? I've got a present I want to give him. So the mom brought him. And he said, son, this present I'm about to give you represents what I have to give you as your grandfather. What our family could mean to you. What, what it means to be a part of this family. Here, I want you to have this. He handed him a small box and he unwrapped it. And inside was a watch. And the face was tarnished and the, what appeared to be gold was yellowed out. The band was worn. And the boy and his mom were not impressed with the gift. And the grandfather was sympathetic. He said, you know what? Would you do me a favor this afternoon? I, I, I want you to just do me, do me a favor. Go, go in town and, and, and go to... Go to the pawn shop and, and walk in there and show them the watch and, and ask them, what would you give me for this watch? And then next, go, go across the street from the pawn shop and, and go to the jewelry store and walk in there and, and show them that. Then, then after you do that, would you drive across town and go to Miller's Antiques. Then show them this watch and ask them what they would give you for it. And the boy unimpressed, the mom agreed to do that, so they walk into the pawn shop and show the watch. And the guy in the pawn shop goes, man, that's old. I give $75 for that. They walk across the street into the jewelry store. The guy takes it and looks at it. Man, that's nice. I'll give you $300 for that. So they drive across town to Miller's Antiques, and they walk in. The young boy hands it to the lady behind the counter, and she looks at it, and she calls over her manager, and her manager calls over the other manager, and before long, there are four or five people crowded around the watch, and the manager comes forward and says, I'll give you 45000 for the watch right now. So they come home, come back to the grandfather, and they walk in, and the boy's excited. The, the, the guy at the pawn shop said he said give me seventy five dollars, and then and then the guy at the the jewelry store said he'd give me three hundred dollars, but but the antique store said they would give us forty five thousand dollars for this watch. It's it's really rare. It's one of the only ones known to be in existence. He said, I know. My grandfather gave me that watch, and I want to give it to you. Do you remember what I told you? That this watch represented what I had to give you as a part of this family. And just a few hours ago, you didn't want it. Just a few hours ago, you didn't see how valuable it was. Son, I have some hard news for you to hear. 
you don't know what you need. What you need is to be a part of our family. Because there is so much more to give. So much more for you. I want you to hear this. It's the same invitation for you right now. The richness of the invitation that Jesus has given you is so much greater than we have often ever given him credit for. The depths of his mercy and grace goes far beyond your failure. It goes far beyond your mistakes. And it is in that that God has leveraged an invitation for you to be a part of his family. We don't accept that invitation by trying to blame other people. We accept it by looking into our own hearts and seeing how desperately we need him. We accept it when we finally realize that this all starts with us doing surgery right here on our own hearts. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.